Good morning again. If you missed the beginning, we're going to start a 10-week walk through the New Testament book of Acts. Ten weeks. uh, The book of Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament, and um, it's it's the history book of the church. So we're going to do ten weeks. I have a friend who's a pastor in Cincinnati who took his church through a two-year walk through the book of Acts, so a hundred weeks through that book. Uh, we'll condense that down to 10, uh, looking for some major themes, though the book of Acts is definitely significant enough uh, to spend two years on, uh, because it really is the blueprint of what church should be. So, I have a challenge for, for you as we walk through this over the next 10 weeks. Um, I'd like for you to read along with me two chapters a day. Now, here's, here's where I'm coming from, especially with like this morning. There are plenty of people who have decided to follow Jesus, like you've been Christians for a long, long time, and know very little about the book of Acts. And I think that's because Acts doesn't have sound bites. Like, many Christians read the Bible really for sound bites. We need that little inspiration for the day, right? That, that thing that we're going to put on an index card on our mirror in the morning or, or on the fridge or, or that, you know, thing for the wall. And so we a lot of times read the Bible for... for Give me something inspirational to lift my day. And Acts doesn't have that. But what it does have is the DNA of who we are as a church. And, and then there's maybe some of you, and this is my favorite group, some of you probably know nothing about the Bible and nothing about the book of Acts. Maybe you don't even know there is a book of Acts, much less what's in it. And, and, and so what I, what I really want to do, especially this morning, is just kind of say, this is what we're talking about when we're talking about the book of Acts. And, and, and this is God's vision for the church. And it's way more than just that building that we go to for one hour on a Sunday, a few times a year, Christmas, Easter, and then when we've done something really bad. So this is, this is the DNA of the church. Now here's the challenge. I would love for you to, uh, through this series, next 10 weeks, between now and the middle of December, two chapters a day from the book of Acts. Just read two chapters a day from the book of Acts, take you 15 minutes, download it, audio version, and listen to it driving to Giant Eagle and back, okay? I mean, this is not a big deal. Um, If you don't have a Bible that is easily readable, like they're all different translations, and maybe you have like an old school translation and you can't really understand it, just take one of the Bibles in front of you in the pew, or you can download the Bible app um, on a smartphone or tablet and, and Go with NIV or NLT versions of the Bible if you need help with that. Get me after the service. I, I just I really want you to read along with me because here's what's going to happen. If you read two chapters a day, 15 minutes a day, no big deal, by now in the end of the, of the series in December, you will have read through the book of Acts about four times. Um, and by then, you will have a good working knowledge of the book of Acts. And that's important because we'll see... This is what the Christians actually did. Because we have our opinions of the church today, but this calls us back to what Christians are supposed to be doing. This is our blueprint. So, 
Um, I'd love for you to, to join me by reading two chapters a day, Book of Acts. What I want to do this morning is, is I want to pretend that we are on a desert island. Okay, we've done this before. This, I do this all the time when I read the Bible because it helps me um, study, try, try to pretend I'm studying something for the first time, take away all the preconceived anything. We're shipwrecked on, on a desert island and we have amnesia because it hit our head. And we don't know anything about anything. Blank slate, which is like me half of the time anyway. And like Tom Cruise, a package washed ashore and we open it up and there are two things in this shoebox. One is there's an invitation to Polaris Christian Church in Brunswick, Ohio. Now, we have no idea what a church is because we have amnesia. But we know that when we get off this island, we could check out this Polaris Christian Church in Brunswick, Ohio. The other thing in the shoebox is, is a copy of the book of Acts, and it says the birth of the church. And we know, I don't know what this church is, but I can go, and I can read this manual that's going to tell me what I would expect to find when I get to the church. So we're going to redefine our view of church by reading the book of Acts and seeing what's church supposed to be. Next move. Let's talk about word association of church in 21st century America, right? Because book of Acts is all about the church. Let's first talk about today. What do we associate with church? Oftentimes it's things like Weddings, like think if you just go to Times Times Square, um, Central Park, place with tons of people from all different walks of life. What do you think about when you hear the word church? Uh, Steeple, cross, rules, religion, weddings, funerals, church building, uh, whatever. Okay, lots of things like that. And and I will myself say that that it's almost inseparable. Church, church building what actually happens on Sunday morning, right? You go to church. This is church. When you're done with this, you leave. You wait anxiously for me to say amen so that you can leave church. It's an organization. That's what we typically associate with church. But as we look through Acts on our desert island... We're going to see that if you had no idea what church was, and all you had was the blueprint, the book of Acts, you never picture a building with a steeple. Most of the associations we have today with church, we would never associate from just reading the book of Acts. Now, it doesn't mean these things are wrong. It's just we want to view an ancient view of what was church supposed to be so that we can know what we're supposed to be doing, right? So let's dive into Acts, and we're going to do an overview to find a definition of church. What are the themes that we would expect to find in church today? From God's perspective, what is church supposed to look like? If you wouldn't mind, turn to Acts chapter 1. If you need to find it, feel free to use the table of contents. Or just Google Acts 1 on a smartphone. <clears throat> give you a couple seconds to get there. The first thing I think we would see as we read through the book of Acts is that there's no specific building associated with a church. 
Like we would get look at the invitation card to Polaris and see 3289 Laurel Road on our island and think after we read Acts, how is church associated with a physical address? <coughs> Acts 1. So the book begins with a transition from the ministry of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. And there's this transition from Jesus' public life and personal ministry to this thing called the church. Jesus talks about what that transition would look like. This is post-resurrection. Verse 4. On one occasion, Jesus was eating with them. And he gave them this command, them being his disciples, his followers. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized or immersed or covered with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now here's what that means. God had promised through the Old Testament that one day Israel would be an eternal kingdom powerhouse on earth again. That will happen someday. God's going to do that. And they're asking, is it time now for that? And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the dates and times that the Father has set by his own authority. Just know this, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, the surrounding region, and to the ends of the earth. Now after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky, and as he was going, suddenly two men dressed in white, we assume they're angels, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, that's where they were from. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. So this frames uh, the book of Acts kind of like this. Jesus was here. He's going away for a while, and he will be back. In the meantime, while we wait, here's what we're supposed to be doing. That's the book of Acts. What do we do while we wait for Jesus to return to this earth? It's kind of like the meaning of life. What are we supposed to be doing while we wait for God? That's the book of Acts. So Jesus tells his followers... I'm leaving. You wait in Jerusalem for the moment when you're going to receive power from God called the Holy Spirit. So here's the moment when that happens. And this is what would be considered the birth of the church. Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, I'll explain that in a minute, they were all together in one place, the believers, about 120. Let's just say a room this size, together in one place. They're in like one big gathering place, one big house Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Now, 
since we're all going to read our two chapters a day, I don't have to read all this, but let me summarize for you. The Jewish calendar, which obviously this is Jerusalem, so it's like Jew central back then and in much case today. It rotated around major feasts. And during these feasts, one of them was Pentecost. You would kind of leave where you were as a practicing Jew and make your pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate together with other Jews. Now, Christianity started as, as a, a branch off of Judaism. So these followers are there in the middle of Jerusalem where there are Jews from all over the world gathered. It's all packed in. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit hits this house like a freight train, and these people are now speaking loudly out into the community, and people are hearing them in their own languages from all around the world. So this is a spectacle, right? You don't see this every day. Peter stands up in the midst of this huge crowd that is now gathered. And he says for the first time, he gives like the first sermon where he says, you know Jesus who was crucified here a couple months ago in Jerusalem. This is all evidence of his power. He has risen. He died for the sins of the world. That salvation is available to you. He goes on and on. And it says that 3,000 people are overwhelmed by what's going on. And they say, you know what? We believe this. And we want to follow his teachings. And we want to be a part of this movement. 3,000 people plus that day. And that was the birth of the church. Now there's thousands of people who are officially like Christians. And Acts 2.46 tells what they started to do. It says every day, this new movement of people, these new believers, they met together in the temple courts. They broke bread together in their homes, and they ate together. The temple was the center for Jewish life back then. It was like South Park Mall. And these Christians now believe differently than their Jewish friends and other people in Jerusalem. But they still met in the places, in like public places. So it would be like instead of getting their own Christian building, they still just continued to meet in the food court of South Park Mall. But they also met in their homes regularly. And they ate together. The book of Acts happens in various public spaces and in homes. What you would never do there on your desert island is you're reading the book of Acts with an invitation in your hand to church. You would never conclude that church happens for one hour on Sunday in a Christian building. doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means that's, you would never say that's what church is. I wouldn't say... Oh, so I go for an hour on Sunday and then I go home and watch football. I would probably see the service times and be confused by, what do you mean church happens for an hour? And what you're going to see in the book of Acts is that church is a whole lot bigger than a one-hour service. Church is a movement. You know, in a consumer world, we can often uh, confuse church with a public show or a TED Talk 
or a lecture or, or something of that nature that we go to in a car, that we show up, we receive a service, and we go home. That sort of thing is foreign in the book of Acts. That's not what you're signing up for when you say you want to be a part of God's church. Way bigger than attending a Jesus rally. So that's probably the first thing you'll notice as you read through the book of Acts, especially if it's for the first time, is, wow, this isn't about a building. This has nothing to do with a building. The second thing that I think you would really be taken by is the volume of God's power that is at work in the church. That's something, you know, if you, if you were to survey even a room full of Christians, what comes to your mind when you hear the word church? Very few would say, the undeniable power of God. Right? Our, our culture has just, we don't think of that. But if we're reading through what happened back then, it's everywhere. So when you think about it, the whole thing that we just read started with a violent, shaking, earthquake-like thing that happened with people speaking miraculously in other tongues. And then we come to Acts chapter 4. It says this, Peter and John, who were two leaders of the early church, they went back to their own people, to the Christians that were gathered together, and they reported all the religious leaders had told them. Basically, the religious leaders in their time were like the bad guys. They were oppressive religion and they didn't like this new um, cult of Christianity, and they told them, you know, stop it. And they disciplined them. And it says, Peter and John went back to the Christians and told them about it. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And we hear the content of their prayer through Acts chapter 4, but I want to go to uh, verse 29. It says, this was their prayer, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. That was the thing they wanted. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They met together they prayed, and God showed up. There's this rhythm, this pulse through the book of Acts. They met together, they prayed, and God showed up. Acts chapter 5, verse 12 and following, the apostles, the church leaders, performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colony. That was a part of the temple. And no one else dared to join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow would fall on them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by demons and pure spirits, and all of them were healed. There was so much power in the early church that people thought, if, if I could just get Peter's shadow to fall on my sick kid, she'll be healed. That much power and expectation in the early church. 
As you read Acts, you'll read about Stephen and Philip who perform miracles all over the place. They're powerful forces that spread the movement. You'll get to Acts chapter 19 and you'll read this in, in chapter 11. God did extraordinary things through Paul so that even his handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illness were cured. Their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. There are supernatural prison escapes in Acts. People are stricken with blindness and healed from blindness, smited by God, raised from the dead. Demons are flying around everywhere, screaming and yelling. The Holy Spirit of God is everywhere. There are dreams and visions and prophecies and future events. As I'm reading on my island, I'd probably think that if I could just get to Polaris Christian Church, I would see lots of prayer, lots of expectation, lots of God's power everywhere. And that's the pattern in Acts. Christians meet together, Christians pray, and God shows up in power. You know, that's a pretty good vision for a small group. We do small groups at Polaris. People just get together in homes, read scripture together, kids tear up the house, eat together, and we pray but if we're reading the book of Acts, that's where the action is. It's Christians that meet together and pray. And then God shows up. So God's power is everywhere in the book of Acts. But it's also, we would read this and, and, and we'll see danger and hardship. So you have this weird kind of balance of power of God that does the amazing and then and then hardship where it seems like you're just up against it when you try to follow Jesus. I mean, I would probably sit on my desert island and think, I don't know if I'm ready to go to church. It's dangerous. I don't know if I'm that committed to Jesus yet. There are murders and threats. There are multiple riots and beatings and stonings and lynch mobs. People are thrown in prison. There are shipwrecks and travel difficulties. On the one hand, God, God does the miraculous to grow his kingdom. Then the very next chapter, people are getting, you know, Christians are getting bitten by random snakes. And, and um, even like the wind when they're trying to sail is against them in the ocean. And it just seems like nothing's working out for them. One thing's for sure, if I'm reading the book of Acts and contemplating Polaris Christian Church, I'm probably not saying, I'm going to go church shopping and see uh, which church has the most to offer me. I'm probably going to be a little nervous to go because of the dynamic power of God and the hardship and suffering that comes my way if I commit to this Jesus movement. In fact, what we already read says that the people in the first century uh, were a little bit afraid of the Christians because of all that power that was at work. Like, they had second thoughts about, oh, man, I respect them, and obviously God's power is at work there, but, man, I don't know if I'm ready for that. It was far from some consumer thing. Another thing you're going to notice that I hope is the best part of the book of Acts is is unimaginable life change. 
crazy life change throughout the book of Acts. If I ever wondered, can people really change? I would not only think it was possible, but it was certain if I could just get to church and experience the power of God. When followers of Jesus were all in, life change is all throughout the book of Acts. From the beginning, even the bad guys uh, look at the followers of Jesus and say, wow, we knew these guys before they met Jesus and they were morons. Now they're like bold and wise and powerful and they've been with Jesus. There's a city called Ephesus you'll read about and we're going to do a whole week just on Ephesus. But it's this Roman, Greek, pagan city far from any kind of godliness or scripture or anything like that. And Paul and a few followers of Jesus start there. Something like nine or ten Christians start there. Transform the whole city. There's a point in the book of Acts when, when, when people who are profiting off of mythology by making little idols for people to put in their homes, they're worried that they're going to go out of business because... Uh, of the spread of Christianity from these um, few followers of Jesus. They're rioting because they're worried that Christianity is going to be bad for the economy because nobody's buying idols anymore. Stories of sorcerers burning hundreds of thousands of dollars of their scrolls because their lives have been transformed by the teachings of Jesus. It's a movement of power and danger and healing and life change and radical love and generosity. It's tragic that church, the first thing that often comes to mind is steeple and wedding and stained glass and rules, boredom. When we read the book of Acts, it was just, it was, it was a dynamic community of people in a loving friendship with Jesus. Life change was everywhere. God's power was on display. I love the way Luke sets out to define the church. If you could look at Acts chapter 1, the very first, very first sentence in the book. So Luke sits down and he's got this vision for what he wants to do, the vision he wants to cast with the book of Acts. Now, Luke wrote another book of the Bible. Anybody guess what it was? Luke. Good job. That, that's, that's, his, um, that, that's his biography of Jesus. Okay, so he writes Luke, and Acts is a sequel to Luke. He starts out Acts, which is the sequel. In my former book, which is Luke, in my former book, Theophilus, the guy he's writing to, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. All that Jesus began. So his first book, Luke, was about all that Jesus began. We would naturally then conclude that his second book is about all that Jesus continued to do through his church. That's the church. That's what church is. It's a movement of people continuing the redemptive work of Jesus. That's our identity. 
It is not a service from 9.30 to 10.30. It is a movement of people committed to continuing all that Jesus began. When you say you want to be a part of a church, what you're really doing is saying, I want to continue the Jesus movement. We're a people who are taking on the lifestyle of Jesus and continuing to fix the world. That's what Jesus began. So we should ask ourselves as individuals, and this would be a great takeaway. If you think you're a part of a church, what are you doing to continue the work of Jesus? What are we as a church doing to continue the work of Jesus? What specifically am I doing in my life right now to continue the redemptive work of Jesus? And start from there. Because there are plenty of Christians, and there are seasons of my life where I could look and say, what am I doing right now to really continue the work of Jesus? That ain't just attending church. The work of Jesus is actively redeeming the real people around us. Redeeming means fixing, helping, saving, whatever it is, something real that makes a difference. That's the church continuing the work of Jesus. Three kick take three kick takeaways. Three quick takeaways. I'm gonna kick you three times and then we're done. <clears throat> the first is this. This whole thing is a continuation of Jesus, which means it's all about Jesus. This, us, is all about Jesus. You want to know what you're supposed to do? Study Jesus. And do what he does as much as you possibly can. Now, I so far haven't been able to raise anybody from the dead and walk on water. But I'm going to do what I can do. And I'm going to make mistakes every single day for the rest of my life. But to the best of my ability, every day, I'm going to try to follow Jesus. So let's simplify church as much as we can. It's still hard, but it's simple. Study the teachings of Jesus and do them to the best of your ability. That's the first takeaway. Second takeaway is this. As you read the book of Acts, don't be discouraged when you see differences. In other words, I doubt you're going to see the kind of power at work in Polaris that was at work in the book of Acts. Rather than be discouraged by that, let's commit more fully to doing things the way they did in the book of Acts. Because it could be that while we're saying, God, why don't you do that stuff anymore? God's looking at us saying, people, why don't you do that stuff anymore? And instead of being discouraged by the lack of passion or by the lack of power, maybe we could say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get together with more people and pray more often. I'm going to engage on a deeper level in my small group. I'm going to pray more often and with greater expectations. I'm going to do things more the way they did it. Believing that then we'll see what they saw. Because there are places in this world where God's power is on display like the book of Acts. And it's the places where the most is at stake and where the people are praying more and connecting more and doing more like it was done in the book of Acts. One last point, and 
Kelly, Marcus can come up um, if you're ready. We're going to take communion in just a minute, so if you're a part of that, um, go ahead and grab the trays, please. Um, the Bible says that we are a continuation of the work of Jesus, and it goes even beyond that to simply say, as the church, you are the body of Jesus the living, breathing body of Jesus here on this earth. We are a continuation. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. This is, this is scripture. 1 Corinthians 12 says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Jesus loved us enough and believed in us enough to say, You are the hope of the world. You are a continuation. I'm trusting you with the movement that's our identity as a church, the body of Christ. And Jesus wanted to keep us focused on that. So we're gonna, right now we're going to take communion. As you read the book of Acts, what you're going to see is the believers were constantly coming together and taking communion. This was a ritual that Jesus set up right before he was taken from his disciples, right before he left them. He said, I want you to meet together. And I want you to take bread and remember my body. And I want you to take juice and remember my blood. Remember your identity. Remember our identity together. And so we gather together and we celebrate Jesus. And we remember that he paid the price for us. And he entrusted us with being a continuation of all that Jesus began. We are the body of Christ. And each one of us is a very important part of it. Now, during this song, I just want to invite you, if you want to be a part of communion, it's, it's open to all believers. <clears throat> if you want to, take a piece of bread and a cup and hold it. If you don't want to, just help us by passing it down the tray. That's completely fine. And then when, when Kelly's done singing, we'll take communion together as, amazingly, the body of Christ. <laughs>